This is a presentation of BSRN, Box Studios Radio Network. The Power Play Post Show is on the air, covering minor league hockey since 2003, and now covering the Binghamton Black Bears, with news, reactions, and in-depth interviews only heard here. And now, from the Box Studios in Kirkwood, New York, here is your host of the Power Play Post Show, Bob Howard. And hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Power Play Post Show. This is the show for November 22nd, 2023. This is episode 7 of season 13. Season lucky 13, as I like to call it. And this is episode 392 in the long-running podcast that is the Power Play Post Show. I want to thank everybody for joining us. I am Bob Howard, your host. And uh, to all the new members of the Power Play Post Show Facebook group, welcome as well, especially if you are tuning in for the first time. Um, We talk about the FPHL and we talk about primarily the Binghamton Black Bears. And we have interviews uh, with players and coaches and uh, broadcasters, and that's the whole point of what this show is going to be all about. So welcome to the show, and welcome to the Facebook group if you are tuning in from there. I really appreciate having you on board. All right. The Power Play Post Show is on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Amazon Music, and iHeartRadio. Just search Power Play Post Show on whichever platform you listen to your podcasts on, and subscribe. Please join the Power Play Post Show Facebook group. Go, Just go to Facebook and search Power Play Post Show and then share with all of your friends, just like Jeff Stanko did. Uh, he did that and got a lot of people to tune in. Thank you very much, Jeff Stanko, uh, for doing that. I am assuming you are related to Brendan Stanko, and thank you for tuning in and, of course, uh, being a part of the Power Play Post Show Facebook page. Check out BinghamtonHockey.net for all your Binghamton hockey information and curiosity. And this week on the Power Play Post Show, defenseman for the Binghamton Black Bears, Jesse Anderson. What a great interview I had with him. Recorded that on Monday evening and was a pleasure to get to talk to him and uh, talk to him a little bit about his life, career, and uh, playing defense for the Binghamton Black Bears. This year, he played with uh, Coach Sherwood in Roanoke, so they're familiar with each other and an easy um, thing to be able to communicate. Uh, He's an alternate captain and, of course, uh, switched uh, positions a little bit this year to help out uh, the Binghamton Black Bears. And he provides that offensive movement, you know, the moving of the puck on the defense uh, that is always obviously very important. You need to have the stay-at-home defenseman and, of course, a puck-moving defenseman on the same line. I think to be successful in the modern hockey way of things, you know, two stay-at-home defensemen on the same line just doesn't do it anymore. Um, Sometimes the puck can get caught behind the blue line and uh, way too much, and you need that uh, puck-moving defenseman that can really energize and start the play off. And uh, Jesse Anderson can definitely be that guy if need be for the Binghamton Black Bears. So let's talk a little bit about the two games from last week. Um, I want to say it's a tale of two two different uh, games, but they were similar, just had different results um, in 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 some senses. But then in other senses, they are the tale of two different uh, games. 
Uh, the first game, home game win uh, versus the Elmira River Sharks. It was an 8-3 to win for the Binghamton Black Bears. Very good win for the Black Bears. But there were some interesting parts to this game. And if you were there, if you watched the game on YouTube, you know what I'm basically talking about. One of the biggest notes I take out of that game is that seven different players scored. Uh, that would be Dan Stone, Tyson Kirkby on the power play, Gavin Yates, Austin Thompson scored, Thomas Ray scored, and Brendan Stanko had two power play goals and Logar scored a power play goal as well. So the team scored four power play goals. They had seven different uh, players get on the score sheet with goals. Stanko had two, so that's really good. Uh, Binghamton won their seventh game in 10 games played. And up to Friday night, before the Saturday game, they were undefeated in regulation. Now, we make a lot out of that, of course, right? You know, they haven't lost in regulation. No team is going to go, you know, 58 or 56-0, and 0, right? It's just, it's just not going to happen. And I think, uh, you know, but this was great. Through 10 games, they hadn't lost in regulation, which means they've gotten points in every single game. And having a 10-game point streak is obviously a very good thing. Uh, there were too many minors in this game for the Black Bears. 11 power plays for the River Sharks, who did score two power play goals. Now, of course, that means the, the, the penalty kill did stop them nine times. And that's a good thing. Uh, there were some matching minors. I think in total, Binghamton had 15 uh, penalties. Just uh, too much. Uh, coach uh, admitted to that. Uh, the players didn't seem... Uh, like a lot of them should have gone against them. But I think when you go back and you look at a lot of the play, there are probably the majority of them were legit calls. So, you know, it's stick infractions, things of that nature. And, and I don't want to say it's complacency or laziness, but sometimes you get in a position when you're ahead or just, you know, the way the game is going and sometimes the first game and a two-game set on the weekend, you can get a little uh, just careless with your stick, right? And I think that might have happened, and that's why there were so many stick infractions. And then, you know, there is some animosity between Elmira and Binghamton, right? Binghamton has always been the bigger brother that Elmira wishes they could be when it comes into the hockey world, the history of minor league hockey. Binghamton's always been kind of like one of the top five, ten cities in the country. You know, you got your Hershey's and your Springfield's and your Rochester's and maybe even Cleveland a little bit. Um, Providence. And Binghamton is there. Even though they're not in the American Hockey League right now, the Bingham, the city of Binghamton is still a top star, and Elmira's not that. And I think that carries over into anybody that's running the team, part of the team, the fans. They look at that and they say, "Hey, listen, you know, this is one of our old, bigger, older brothers here in this in the in the state." And even though Utica and Syracuse are in there, Utica has not been in the American wasn't in the American Hockey League as long as Binghamton had been. So. You know, I think they look at Binghamton and say, listen, we want to beat you every single time. And they should. And that's good, obviously. Uh, Connor uh, McAnanima earned his first win of his pro career, saving 39 of 42 shots. And he had a pretty good performance. Really impressed with uh, his play. Uh, the two power play goals. Listen, you're, you're a man down. It's going to happen, right? No team is going to go a whole season without scoring power play goals. So you can't take a look at that. And then the other goal he gave up, you know, Again, uh, just one of those things where 
you know, you're not going to save every single shot. He had a good performance, though. I think all three goaltenders have shown shines signs this year of being able to play at this level, which is important. They also have a good defense and a good offense in front of them, which clearly does help as well. So let's talk about the away loss at Watertown against the Wolves where they lost 5-1. to one. This was the first regulation loss for the team in the first 11 games. They now stand at 7-3-1 on the season with 24 points and currently in first place in the Empire Division. So there's some things that went right and maybe some things that went wrong in this game. So let's talk about the things that went right first. Uh, Nikita Ivochkin did score the only goal, and he scored his 99th goal, moving him into a tie with Binghamton Hockey Hall of Famer Josh Hennessy for seventh place in the Binghamton Hockey's all-time goals list. He's at 99. He can score his 100th goal uh, Wednesday night against Danbury at home. And I hope there's a graphic. I hope there's a celebration. And I hope uh, the Binghamton Black Bears, and I'm pretty sure they do, uh, but I hope they realize how important this is. Only six players have scored 100 goals wearing a Binghamton uniform. So think about that, fans. Only six players in the 51 years that Binghamton has had minor pro hockey in its city, from the AHL to the NAHL, the UHL, all the leagues combined, all the teams combined, the Senators 15 years of being here, the Whalers being here for 10 years, only six players have scored 100 goals or more in their career playing for Binghamton. So these are Binghamton numbers, and he's going to be the seventh person to do that when he scores his 100th goal, and that's going to happen. He's also, I believe, the leader now in with 104 games played. Uh, for Binghamton Black Bears. He's also got the most goals and he's got the most points right now. So he's having, so his 99th career goal, great goal, good for him. That's, uh, again, I think every single game that he scores or gets on the score sheet, it, it's a positive for the team. The team was, the team outshot the Wolves 40 to 22. And to be honest, at least 20 of those chances were grade A chances. I think they had some really good chances in this game. But Eloy, Bouchard was just really good for the Wolves. He deserved, in my opinion, the number one star of the game, not the number three. Now, folks, I am a credentialed media member, and I don't get to pick the uh, the the stars of the game. I don't know who does in 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 the fad. Um, I know I asked about it before, and I believe I was told that it is the off ice officials. Um, but in this game, up in you know Watertown. I don't know who picks it. I, I just know what was told to me in Binghamton about who picks them. But I believe that their goaltender should have gotten the number one star of the game. He was good. He just was good. And you just can't take that away from him. And uh, I think the team just needs to, you know, maybe get a little dirty in front of him a little bit. I know that's not something that you always want to do because it might cause a ruckus that could get one of your guys thrown into the penalty box. But if you do it once or twice and your penalty kill is good, you know, getting in his face and, you know, maybe a goaltender interference, something that just kind of knocks him off his rocker a little bit. It's a strategy thing. I'm not saying go out there and hurt the guy or anything like that. Trust me, I'm not saying that. But there are ways to 
kind of get into his mind a little bit. And I don't think the Black Bears did that because I don't think the Black Bears are that type of team. I don't think they like to do that. Listen, when I was taking pictures on Friday night for the game against the Elmira River Sharks, I noticed Austin Thompson in front of the net all the time, and I think Brendan Stinko. When those two players are on the ice, they are there. They're in front of the net. They're looking for the shot to to ricochet in. They're, they're looking to block the goaltender as much as they can. Those two do a great job, Brendan Stinko and um, Austin Thompson, in getting in front of the net. Okay, So that's the one thing that we didn't do well, I think, against the Wolves. Just not getting in front of the net enough. Uh, the team never seemed to give up. All the way through the third period, they were trying to decode Bouchard, and they weren't able to. They had 17 shots in the third period. So in a game where you're losing 5-1 to one and maybe all the things are going against you on the other end of the ice in front of your goaltender and he's not having a great game and sometimes you have to win a game for the goaltender and sometimes the goaltender has to steal a game for the team, right? And in this particular case, I think the everything went against kind of like the Black Bears in that sense. So very, very... That's, so to my point is... 17 shots in the third period. Obviously, that's a plus. It means they didn't give up. It means there was some heart. There was some energy. They were trying really hard. They were also short Tyson Kirkby. Now, let's go back to the Elmira game for a second. When they came back out for the third period against Elmira, Tyson Kirkby was behind the bench. He was he, he was out of his gear, and he was in a suit, or at least a, I don't think he was in a suit. I think he was in a, a pullover collared thing uh, that had the Black Bears logo on it and everything. He was behind the bench, so he was he was doing player assistant coach type of thing there, which he is. Uh, but then in the uh, Watertown game, he was scratched and he was on the bench. So even though the guy's injured, he's you know there. So, but let's go back to um, the Watertown game. Only three penalties the whole game, which is a departure from the night before against the River Sharks. So 15 penalties down to three penalties. The last penalty was a 10-minute game misconduct that JT Walters took at the end of the game. Probably said the magic word. So let's talk a little bit about what went wrong in this game. The power play did not convert on the many chances, including a five-minute match penalty that the team had in the early parts of the third period. They had about eight or nine power play chances, and they just couldn't capitalize. They, there are times when the Binghamton Black Bears' power play is so on, nobody can stop them. They can score two or three or four goal power play goals in a game. We've seen that this year. There are times when a goaltender is just so good. You know, they got shots on the power play. Don't get me wrong. But it just didn't have the same pizzazz. And and I usually don't like pizzazz. I don't usually like guys flipping the puck behind their back to try to pass it to somebody. Because nine times out of ten, that just gets picked off. And it goes somewhere else. You don't always know. I think Connor Smith and Brendan Stanko know each other on ice all the time. They do. And I think it's just natural when they're playing north to south and they pass that puck over to each other. They just know where they're going to be. They played three years together on the same line in Adrian College. But when you throw the puck behind you and you're trying to, you're thinking that somebody's going to tail over and you're trying to get this great, like, behind the back kind of, 
and it's going to go at a diagonal, maybe to your left side, and you're, you're thinking somebody's going to be there, and there's nobody there. We see that happen way too much. You know, players thinking that they can do that kind of move and that it's going to work. So I just think that the power play just didn't have the right pizzazz. And and you can do you can have that kind of pizzazz and you want it to work on the power play, but when you're five on five and you're trying to throw the puck behind your back and it's going to nobody, and we've seen that with the Black Bears over the last three years, and it might be just a product of the you know the FPHL and the type of players that are in there. Nolan Egbert, let's talk about him for a second. I think Nolan Egbert, I don't want to say he's been the best goalie for the Black Bears this season, but he's been consistent. And he just didn't think he had a great game. Now, one of the things that I noticed about Olin Egbert, Nolan Egbert, and I would love to ask him about this. So he might be a future guest on the show. Because I, I mean this out of complete, total respect, right? He may have been out of position for a couple goals, coming out too far. It's one of the things that I noticed. That between him, San, and Connor, he comes out of his net. Now, there is a theory and I want to ask him about this. Coming out of the net as far as you do, sometimes you can cut off the angle that the player who's coming at you trying to make uh, a goal will have. So he'll have less angles. He'll have uh, less leverage on you because you're coming out and you're, you're blocking more of the net with your body coming out that far. And I think that's probably what he's doing there. Now, again... I just want to say I don't want to knock down any of the goaltenders ever, right? Like if a player really Fs up, and you're going to hear in the interview with Jesse Anderson, and I want you guys to know this right now, he feels accountable for two goals against Carolina. That he dropped the ball, so to speak, right? But in this case, probably the puck. He, he dropped the, 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 the ball when it came to two goals, and he calls himself out. I'm not calling him out. He's called, he called, so individual accountability is very interesting, right? Because individual accountability means the individual feels, holds himself accountable for mistakes that he makes, either on the ice or your life or your work or whatever it might be. And I'm not calling out Nolan Egbert, but his style of hockey. I question whether or not potentially came coming out too far may have cost his inability to get down maybe into the butterfly or whatever to stop a couple of the goals. Now, I could be completely wrong, and I want to ask him about that. But that is something that I noticed. And I've noticed that even in the games where he's played really well, I'm like, oh, my God, he comes out so far. He goes so far. But it's worked, okay? So I just want people to realize I'm not – knocking Nolan Egbert for necessarily his play, but just questioning the style and maybe the reasoning behind it. And again, the reason why I don't ever really want to not, these guys don't have goalie coaches. There's not a goalie coach in practice with them. So there are things that maybe Coach Sherwood sees, maybe Tyson Kirkby sees, and he can they can go to him or even Tom Reynolds when he's there. And say, hey, listen, I'm seeing this. And then they can work on it. Maybe look at a little video and look on that. So, but he usually comes out further than Sam and Connor normally does. And fans will just watch the games. You'll see what I'm talking about. That appears to be his style to cut off angles. But is he left off to fend a couple of three-on-twos and he comes out, or three-on-ones, 
So blame cannot necessarily be placed on Nolan. But it is something that I noticed. And honestly, what went wrong in this game? Really, we didn't score on the power play. We had some good chances, yes, but we didn't score in the power play. And maybe we left our goaltender out to dry a couple times, right, where he has to come out a little bit further like he normally does anyway. And it just didn't work out. So you move on. The best part the best part of waking up is that you might go play a game really soon afterwards. Not having Folgers, you know, in your cup. But honestly, they go from Saturday to Wednesday to play their next game. And I can tell you right now, coaches like that. Coaches like losing on a Friday and then coming back exactly on Saturday because they want their team to immediately forget. Now, of course, they've had a few days in between Saturday and this upcoming Wednesday. But we'll see what happens. But I can tell you from talking to a lot of coaches, they really like that quick turnaround. And the quick turnaround takes them right into a team that they hate, that they want to beat. And I can tell you right now from you wait till you hear the interview with Jesse Anderson, you'll hear that there is that is the team that they want to take down this year. And they're playing them 18 times, so they're going to be up on those guys another 15 times this season. And game four between us and Danbury starts on Wednesday. Wednesday night at the arena. All right, Dustin Gesso was released on waivers. Here are my thoughts. He could not commit to every game this season and had already missed four games up to this point. So through 11 games, he'd missed four games. And I just want to say that I spoke to Coach Sherwood about this. And I'm not going to share direct quotes from Coach Sherwood, but I'm telling you right now, he really wanted to work with Dustin Gesso. He believed in Dustin Gesso. And he I'm sure he still does. But he can't have a guy that's going to be a part-time player and a part-time team teammate. And it's not a knock on him. Let's be honest. This is a product of the Fed not paying guys enough to make it worth it. Nothing they can do about it. He has the skill to play in this league, but the money is not worth missing other things in his life. I'm not knocking Dustin Gessell. And, you know, when we played against him, yes, without a doubt, he was a guy that I did not like to play against. And I'll tell you why. Because he's good. He's In this league, he's a good player that's feisty and can score goals. That's the kind of player you want in your team. And I can tell you right now, Coach Sherwood wanted him on this team. But Coach Sherwood can also bring in guys that will be here for a full season. He let Justin Somero go and brought him back. Why? Because even when he let him go, he told me he believed in this player and thought he'd be back. And now he is. Um, Likely, this was the best move for both parties. He couldn't commit, and coach wants players here who could be here for consistency. And I think that's important. Okay, so that's the Dustin Gesso thing. Um, I really honestly, truly believe that – you know, I hope that he does well. And if he comes back and plays somewhere else, fine. That's okay. Um, it's just obviously not going to be um, with Binghamton. Let's talk a little bit about the roster now. Where do we stand with the roster? Okay, I want to go over this a little bit. So right now we have goalies Connor McAnanama, Nolan Egbert, and Sam Levici is on the 15-day IR. But he could come off this week. 
Connor is 1-0 and 2. Just got his first win last Friday night against the Elmira River Sharks. He has, uh, I believe, two shootout losses. Nolan Egbert is 3-1 and 1. He just got that first regulation loss, obviously on Saturday, against the Watertown Wolves. And Sam is sitting at 3-0-0. Now, can all three goaltenders be here through a good portion of the of the of the thing? It depends on injuries. I don't think you can keep three goaltenders without, you know, maybe you can. Maybe you can keep three goaltenders and someone does the you know the four game PTOs. I don't know. I just don't see how you can go a whole season and carry three goaltenders. So who's the best out of these three? That's a good question, and that's a tough question for Coach Sherwood. Maybe that's a question I got to ask him. Who's the best out of those three? I don't think he'll answer me. I don't think he'll give me a straight answer. Not that he'll lie to me. Coach Sherwood definitely won't lie. I just don't think he'll answer the question. All right? So defensemen. Here's what we have right now. Seven defensemen. Liam Anderson, who has one assist on the season. JT Walters, who has a goal and assist on the season. Matthew Bullard, who didn't play this past weekend. I think he's injured. I think there's an injury there with Matthew Bullard. He's got four assists on the season. Dakota Bond has four assists. Since he's come here, I think he's played two or three games, maybe. Um, He's got four assists already. Dan Weber has a goal and three assists. Jesse Anderson the non-forward defenseman, or the non, yeah, the non-defenseman forward defenseman, <laughs> we'll call him that. He has 12 assists on the season, and and again, he is our key guy right now on defense because he can move the puck so well, and he's it's it's gonna the puck is gonna be on his stick a lot, and he's gonna get it to somebody who's gonna score. Uh, Dan Stone has one goal and four assists. Now, this is a little bit of departure from last year where we had players who scored a lot on the defense or had a lot of points like Cam Yarwood and uh, Kyle Powell. This defense is built a little bit differently, and I think what's nice about it, they all have points. They all have at least one point. And the other thing I think is very important here is that the team is doing – only a few guys have um, plus-minus under zero. Okay, so they're minus one or minus two. Matter of fact, I think uh, Jesse Anderson, who probably has the most minutes on the defense on the ice, I, I'm guessing um, it would be between him, Ballard, even though Ballard didn't play the last couple games. But on average per game, I would imagine it's those two. Um, I think Ballard, I think, I think he, people look at him as a fighter. I think he's more than that. I think there's a lot more that uh, Ballard brings to the ice other than just fighting. And everything. I just think GT Walters probably has a heavy uh, minutes load. And I think you're going to find Weber and, 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 and Bond are also. I mean, you can really carry those six or seven guys, and they can be on the ice uh, a lot. GT Walters and Dan Stone were the only goals for defensemen. Let's move on to the forwards. So, in with the forwards, you have, and I did this based on kind of like the lines that they've been running so far. So, forward wise, Obviously, we all know we've got Connor Smith, Brendan Stinko, Nikita Ivashkin on one line. Okay. Um, Connor Smith has 15 points. Brendan Stinko has 21 points. And Nikita Ivashkin, I think, is at 13, 14 points, uh, 13 points, I believe. Gavin Yates has got six points. Tyson Kirkby, centering the second line, has 12 points. And Austin Thompson has 10 points. Okay. So if you think about it, you're looking at Connor Smith with seven goals. 
Brendan Stanko with seven goals. Tyson Kirkby with six goals. Austin Thompson with six goals. You got two lines that are really doing well. Then you move to the more interchangeable line. The line that you can put somebody in, take somebody out to give them a rest, that type of thing, and it's okay. Angel Logar has three goals and four assists. Josh Fletcher has a goal. And Thomas Ray has three goals and two assists. So even on your third line, and I, I know they may not consider them, you know, one, two, three, or whatever, but that's how I look at it. I look at production. Who's given us the best production? They're, the, they're your top line. That's Smith, Stanko, and Ivashkin. I, I, I understand what Coach would say. He'd be very PC about it because he doesn't want his players to think that one line's better than the other. But I think even the players on the ice know that Connor Smith, Brendan Stanko and Nikita Ivashkin is the top line. Then you got the Tyson-led line, whoever that might be on there. And I think they're a gritty line. I think that's the gritty line on the team, right? Yeah, they're scoring a combination of 15 goals between the three of them. But realistically, they're a gritty line. I don't want to be out there on the ice with Tyson Kirkby, Austin Thompson, Gavin Yates. That's You're you're talking about American-born players who played college hockey and that will just rock your world because they play a physical grinding game, but they're also scoring goals too, which is cool. So Logar, Fletcher, and Ray, and then you have uh, Justin Samaro now is that 10 forward. Um, will Tyson Kirkby play this week? That is the big question. Okay. Now, who's he got to play against if he's going to play? Well, that's three games in four nights versus the Danbury Hattricks. Right now, we are 2-0-1 and one versus the Danbury Hattricks this season so far. And we'll play, obviously, three more games this weekend. So we'll have six of those 18 games done. Let's see what it looks like at the end of that six games to see how close we are to Tyson Kirkby's, uh, you know, saying we're going to win 12 out of 18 games against them. We'll see. So two games at home, that's Wednesday and Saturday night, and then one game in Danbury on Friday night. Uh, Connor McCollum is 5-2 and two for the Hattricks with a 2.35 goals against average and a 94% save percentage. He has been a really good goalie for them. When they have won, when they have had – Good games. He's been a huge part of it. So that's something, another goaltender that we got to crack and figure out. Uh, Nick DiNicola has seven goals and five assists and 12 points to lead their offense. They are coming along. The Danbury Hattrick started off a little slow, but they are coming along. However, I still think that we have a team that can beat them. So that's pretty much what I wanted to cover uh, this week. And I want to get you guys over to the interview now with uh, Jesse Anderson. Very excited. There was some really good stuff that we talked about. Uh, we even talked about Dan Barry and uh, Daniel Ansbury. So you'll hear his comments on him. Um, I won't give you any preview of that. You, you have to listen to that yourself. And uh, I think it's a really good interview. Um, hope you guys enjoy it. And I'll be back after the interview with Jesse Anderson right here on the Power Play Post Show. You're listening to the Power Play Post Show. Here is another Power Play Post Show interview exclusive with Bob Howard. And welcome back, everybody, to the Power Play Post Show. 
I have a uh, very cool guest uh, here with us today on the show, and uh, very excited to talk to him. He comes to us, obviously, from the Black Bears. He is uh, one of their defensemen right now. He is Jesse Anderson. Jesse, welcome to the show. Glad to have you on. Thanks, Bob. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. So, Jesse, let's talk a little bit about growing up in Wasaga Beach, Ontario. Um, it's right off of Lake uh, Huron. You and I were talking about it a little bit. Uh, the, the general sports scene that you would expect in, you know, Canada, you know, there's uh, soccer, there's hockey. Um, baseball is still played, obviously, in Canada as well and everything. Talk a little bit about your growing up. Uh, first of all, you get to grow up on a beach next to a really big lake, one of the Great Lakes and everything. Talk about what it was like to grow up in the, in the sports scene for you. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was good. It was, it was nice to be, you know, uh, right on the water for summer, you know, get to not think about hockey a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I was only actually with Wasaga, uh, the Stars organization, minor hockey organization, for, I think, three years. And then I moved on to uh, Barrie to start my AAA. But everybody in Wasaga, you know, they always were – content with sending their guys that they thought were good enough to play triple a they're like yeah you go like you think you got it and we think you're good enough just they were no problem with it so it was always great like very good community backing everybody up so a lot of people play youth hockey um you know whether it be in the states or in canada when did you know when did you or your family or a coach know that you had the ability to play pro hockey because even no matter what level you play at, not everybody can play pro hockey. Uh, I can skate backwards. doesn't mean I can play pro hockey. So uh, when, when, when was that kind of like, what age was it when everyone started to realize that you could uh, play? Uh, the thing is, is, I don't know when everyone noticed when I could play pro hockey. I think it was more of like when I first started playing and uh, you play like my Tyke, I guess. I think it's called Mike down here, but for us it's called Tyke back mm-hmm. home. And um, they were already putting me up with the the travel novice team when I was still a Tyke. So they were like, yeah, you, you don't belong here. Like, you need to move forward and, you know, start start playing with kids that are of your ability. So I would think I was only, I think it was six, six or seven at the time when that had happened. And next thing you know, yeah, I was in Barry playing AAA. Um was able to do that for most of my career. I think I played with them for six years and played one with uh, York Simcoe Express, won uh, the OMHAs with them, which was amazing. Actually, one of the years that I played D, funny enough. So, yeah, it was just kind of a, a growing thing, essentially, where uh, each year I kind of got better, and it was just kind of where could I go with this. Yeah, at some point, there's also that decision where I'm only going to play hockey and not any of the other sports. I think I remember you, uh, you you mentioning you did play some of the other sports. Was there a time when it was a decision to say, okay, we're only going to concentrate on hockey and not play baseball or soccer or anything like that? Yeah, I came. I it was probably around 14, 13, 14, maybe even 15 when I had to cut out baseball, which... I might have been better at baseball, to be honest. But, <laughs> what position did you play in baseball? I was a catcher. 
Oh, you were a catcher. Oh, so you so so okay. So well, that would make kind of make sense. I think your hockey sense is pretty good, and you and, and honestly, to be a catcher, some say you have to have big ears and uh, be able to crouch and everything. But it really comes down to catcher is one of the smartest uh, players on the field, basically because you're basically trying to control and help the um, the pitcher, and you're basically scanning the whole field. You know whether you got to throw to second or first or anything like that. Uh, to pick somebody off and everything. So, uh, playing catcher is. Do you think that there are some things that you could take from that and actually apply it to hockey? Oh yeah, I mean absolutely. Like the one thing that I remember, like from being catcher to playing hockey, is just you know how, how you have to be calm in all situations. Like things things hit the fan, and you know, I mean, not as much as in baseball, but. It happens, and when that happens, someone's got to kind of control it, and usually the catcher is the one kind of signaling where everything's got to go. And, yeah, just so that moving into hockey, just, you know, being able to either as a centerman or a defenseman just kind of trying to quarterback everything. So that was, like, the big thing between the two that I that I found similar. Now, you spent most of your, your junior career either in the Greater Ontario or the Northern Ontario Hockey Leagues, and everything, um, but you did spend a little bit of your time in Wilkes-Barre in the NHL. How different yeah. were those three leagues, really? Uh, you know, skill-wise or whatever it might have been, because you were obviously with St. Catharines, St. Thomas, uh, Passawan, and then of course, you know, North York Rangers in those leagues up in Ontario. But then you got to play 24 games with the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Knights. And everything. So, uh, what, what's the kind of like the difference between the NAHL and obviously the um, the ones up in uh, Ontario? Yeah, I mean, there's there's always going to be their differences. Um, I mean, the the Junior B, the GOJHL, there was a lot of high end guys that were coming from the OHL. Uh, so, like, you definitely had some teams that were were stacked, and then some of the lower end teams weren't as good. They're definitely trying to. Uh, help kids with their development, which I kind of liked. Mm-hmm. Um, the o- OJHL and the NOJ, I'd say the NOJ had their top teams that were could definitely compete uh, every year in either the OJ, the CC, or even for the Dudley Hewitt Cup. But then the lower-end teams just didn't have like the players. It was hard for them to compete on a regular night. And then uh, when I was in the Null, that was probably where I had the most competition um, just overall, like, every team was good enough to beat each other on any given night. Oh, absolutely. And uh, some good players actually come out of the Null and everything. And for anybody to be able to be able to play in the Null is actually a pretty good thing because that in the USHL, at least here in the States, is really a driving force for people to be able to go and play college hockey. Yeah. Oh, 100%. I know um, a lot of my friends were – very hesitant on going to the Nall. One of my best friends, actually, uh, he went to Wilkes-Barre as well, and then he went to Brown. I don't think he's no longer playing, but, he, yeah, he made the jump, and he loved it down here, and that's why the, one of the reasons I tried to get down. So, yeah, I was just looking at college and trying to get the best opportunity to be seen for either NCAA Division One or D3. I ended up going Division Three, but that was, that was always the plan was to play college hockey. Yeah, you went to SUNYAC, uh, obviously Morrisville, and uh, 
you know, obviously there's a lot of players that are playing on the Binghamton Black Bears now that are SUNYAC. Obviously, Coach Sherwood really believes in that uh, that system. Um, and uh, obviously he believes in Adrian College too, which – I'll, I'll ask you uh, what I, you know, what I brought up with Tyson Kirkby uh, last last week about uh, the Adrian guys versus the Suniac guys. Um, it's funny his answer and everything. But talk to me a little bit about going to uh, SUNY Morrisville and how, was the decision easy? Uh, was there a, a conversation with the coach? Uh, what what got you to SUNY uh, Morrisville? Uh, yeah, well, I was I was going through different uh, offers that I had through throughout the northeast uh, northeastern northeastern schools, and uh, I was able to talk to the coach at Morrisville, and he was just kind of assuring me that I was going to play a lot of minutes my freshman year, and that's essentially what I was looking for. You know, I just wanted because I came from a team where I was playing a lot, and I just didn't want to you know kind of sit third line, fourth line. I just wanted to play as much as possible, and then see where I could take it from there and then it just uh, worked out that they were looking for at the time a goal scorer and I was having one of my best years of junior mm-hmm. and then I went there and then everything kind of went eh, all right I guess it could have been a lot better but you know those things happen and then you move forward from there was it was it was it a tough decision to uh, to because you you played, I think about two and a half years of of hockey there, and then you started playing with uh, Roanoke. Was it an easy decision to leave and go play pro? Um, it was a, it was a bit of a tough decision. Uh, not all of it was on uh, like playing. It was also financially. It was, it was you know, it's not it's not cheap for a Canadian to come over. Especially when you don't get, uh, they don't give out a lot of scholarships. Sure, there's some schools that can, which I totally understand, and even in the SUNYAC, there's schools that have a little bit of way of getting around it. But Morrisville didn't have as much money, which was fine. But I was looking to try and, you know, I also want. I knew eventually one day I want to play pro, and it just at the time that it happened, I couldn't, you know, couldn't afford paying another uh, almost twenty thousand hmm. uh, dollars. For, for the school year, so I just said, you know what, uh, I got to go. I want to play more, and this is the opportunity for me. And former captain that I played with at Morrisville was was playing in Roanoke, and he's like, yeah, come, I'll talk to the coach. We need a guy. Like, I'll vouch for you, and that's what this coach goes off of. So don't, he's like, expect a call, and, and then go from there. And next thing you know, I get the call, and I'm headed to Roanoke, Virginia. Now, what did you know about Roanoke, Virginia, before you went? Because uh, it's you know it's one of those uh, towns in Virginia, and uh, de- definitely different than where you grew up. Oh, I yeah, I knew absolutely <laughs> nothing. Um, I got I got down there and was like, oh well, this is different. You know, uh, they don't really get snow. So I remember when I was down there, one of the days we had about two two to three feet of snow fell pretty quick. Yeah, and it was like nobody knows how to drive, and I was like, "Oh goodness, what did I get myself into?" <laughs> I remember driving one of the guys to uh, the grocery store, and there was a cop waiting to take a left-hand turn, and I was going straight through the light, and uh, the light goes green, and they're just spinning their tires because they have two-wheel drive, and I'm sitting there with a four-by-four, <laughs> nice, easy getting through it. So I was like, "This isn't this isn't normal for me," but I guess it's the new normal. No, absolutely. Now, 
talk about the difference in that play between um, you know SUNY Morrisville and you getting up into pro with Roanoke. You know, because the, the speed of the game gets faster with pro, even at the SP and the FP level, it's still just a faster game, and you have to make decisions quicker. Talk about that difference between SUNY, uh, you know, SUNY Morrisville, and of course Roanoke. Yeah, I mean, um, there is a difference for sure, and I, I think the big thing that um, I see, especially now, like being being out of college for a couple of years, is so many guys that come out of college is. That, like most of those coaches are instilling like go 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 all the time like chip and chase go get the puck you know whereas now in the program yeah it, it's a faster paced game but you have time you make you make decisions you got to slow the play down speed it up you know there's definitely more more thought into it I'd say and I'm not nothing against anybody that's you know playing right now in college or anything sure it's just it's a it's a learning curve it's, yep. it's something that happens in every pro game like. It's not just run and gun. You know, you don't see very many games that are just back and forth, back and forth. It's it's all strategic. You're playing it out. You're trying to slow the game down when you have to and speed it up when you're going, like, when you need to. And it's, it's definitely a change for sure. Jesse, also, I don't think people realize that the college game, even though there's no fighting, it's a physical game. It can be a very physical game. Like, um, a Cornell team who produces some of the best defensemen in the National Hockey League now, they're very physical. It's very, you know, even D1 to D3, you can't fight in the game, obviously. But, you know, it's a very physical game. And you can get, you know, kind of beat up without really getting in a, in a fight. Can you explain to the fans what it means to play college hockey and how – Instead of it being, like you said, like a run-and-gun type of situation, it's just more of a physical grinding kind of game. Yeah, 100%. It is, it, it, it's, I, don't even, I don't even know the best way to explain it. I remember my freshman year, um, I think the second game in, we were playing Stevenson, and it's just like you're always getting hit, always getting hit. And next thing you know, I, I go into the corner and separate my AC joint. Mm. on my left side and that was a pain like that I've never felt and I played through it for the next 10 games we're getting closer to the end of the season and I do it to the other AC joint my right AC joint wow so I did both in the same season and I had never done anything like that my whole career never had anything like hurt really bad to where I couldn't like feel like I wanted to play so yeah it, it was a grind 100% in college I've seen more injuries in college than I had my whole time playing junior hockey everything just yeah. like every time you have to puck in college hockey like someone was trying to crush you yeah yeah because be, because again I know if I hit you really hard no matter what you can't really drop the gloves because obviously it's a no-no in college hockey yeah so so Going from collegiate hockey, a very grinding game, you come up to the program, and some teams are built that way, the same way in college hockey, where they want to grind it out, and they're very physical, and of course there's now fighting. But there are also teams that like the run-and-gun style, where north-to-south hockey, east-to-west passing, as much as possible and everything. You've seen a little bit of that here with the Binghamton Black Bears and everything. Um, But that mindset, then all of a sudden you go from that slow grind to something where it can be a lot faster as well. And, you know, was that an easy, easy 
kind of changed for you? Because in junior hockey, you probably played some of that. Um, I honestly think I'm better off now playing the pro game than I ever was in college. Yeah. Um, my first couple games when I was at Roanoke, of course, you got the you know first game jitters, and you just kind of have to slowly ease in and re- relax, essentially. But, yeah, ever since I switched over to this, uh, the program, I just found it a lot easier. I mean, again, in Roanoke, I didn't have as much as much freedom as I do. I'd say here, you know, I was mostly 10th forward at the time, just mm-hmm. trying to do whatever I could to stay in the lineup. But it was just uh, a lot different. You know, I was able to use my speed and, and think the game and just make plays where, yeah, I knew I was going to get hit, but at the same time, I knew that guys were going to be able to come with me, run and gun a little bit, and, you know, do stuff that honestly probably wouldn't happen in a college game. You played, obviously, that year um, in Roanoke uh, with Coach Sherwood. Uh, Did you guys form a friendship? Was there a connection there? Because, obviously, you come to Binghamton uh, the year later. He's obviously, you know, coaching takes over for Coach Gary Gill and everything here in Binghamton. Um, was did you guys kind of build up a connection, a friendship of some sort? Yeah, actually, funny enough, we had enough guys down in Roanoke that uh, were from the from the SUNYAC conference as well. Yeah, so kind of had a SUNY SUNY thing going on there as uh, as well. So it was kind of kind of cool. Um, all the guys down there were great, and, and of course, sure what it was as well. And um, yeah, we you know kept in contact, and then I found out that he was coming coming in when Gary had uh, resigned and yeah it was great to see familiar face again and um, yeah essentially it was led me to being 100% uh, interested in coming back to play for him because I just know what he brings to the table I know how he is and everything he wants to do and I know last year we didn't leave it off the best way um, unfortunately but uh, we're definitely looking to rectify what happened last year, and I think we got the right grip to do it. Oh, so you're talking about beating Danbury is basically what? Oh, you... absolutely. <laughs> well, it's it's funny because we we talked to Tyson um, and everything, and I asked him at media day. I said, Tyson, how you guys play Danbury 18 times? And I wouldn't ask any other player this, but I would ask the captain. And I said to him, I said, how many games legitimately can you guys beat Danbury? And he said. We should beat them 12 out of 18 times. Um, and that was his strong confidence. You guys have obviously done very good already against Danbury this year. And you got three games coming up on Wednesday night and uh, Friday and Saturday night. Um, three games, two games at home, one on the, on the road and everything. And uh, so there's, there is that taste in your guys' mouth, this bitter taste when it comes to Danbury. And, you know, with playing 18 guy, eighteen games against them, you guys really just really want to beat them. Uh, yeah, it's just, I mean, 18 games is a lot for sure. And it I is. mean, I did that when I was in Roanoke. We played Fayetteville. I don't even, I think it was about 15 or 16 times when I was there. And I was like, holy, I don't think you could ever play a team this much. <laughs> and then just to have what had happened last year and now to play them 18 times, it's kind of like every time we want to beat them, it'd be like to prove that, like, you're not gonna you're not gonna screw us over this year. Like this is our year. Like you're not even close to us. What's funny too is is um, I've brought up that you know a guy like Daniel Ainsbury shouldn't be in the league. He's injured players. Uh, we saw it last year in the playoffs where he just he doesn't. It's not a hockey move to change directions and to hit a guy up high. It just isn't. I'll say it. You don't have to say it. I'll say it. I've been watching hockey. I played hockey as a kid. 
I, I know how the game is played and everything, and it's just not that way. And I, I think it builds up rivalry. Obviously, it does. Binghamton doesn't like Danbury. Fans don't like the Danbury fans, so on and so forth, back and forth and everything. But it also makes you guys, being that they won the championship last year and beat uh, the Black Bears to make it to the finals, it really just drives you guys even more. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, for me, like, having Amesbury on their team, like, I'm co- I, it doesn't bother me. Put mm-hmm. him on the ice, don't put him on the ice, whatever they want to do. It's not going to affect how we play. I mean, he's one guy. Yeah, he can fight, but... I mean, now we don't we don't even need to fight him. Like, keep him on the ice for all we care. I mean, if he drops his gloves and starts throwing punches, he automatically gets ejected. So, yeah. I mean, if he wants to be a clown, he can be a clown for for all I care. I mean, it, if they want to keep putting him on the ice just to play, we're good with that too. So, no, uh, it doesn't really matter because I think we have the team. Uh, collectively to be like a pack of dogs. So right. we're going to stand up for each other no matter what. Now, last year you split between Makeham and Binghamton. What what would you say was the difference between playing in the FP and playing in the SP? Because some people say there is a skill level that's a little bit higher in the SP. Uh, obviously the pay might be a little bit better according to some people and everything. But is there a big difference between the FPHL and the SPHL when it comes to the level of play? I would say there is a little bit of difference for sure. Um, you know, the one thing I did notice about in the SP compared to the FP is, um, yeah, you, you can make the plays that we do here, but mm-hmm. if you're in the SP, like, no matter what you're going to get, you're going to get hit. Like, a lot of guys kind of do flybys in our league, I find. Especially, I've noticed a lot more playing D. Jesse, before you continue, I, can explain what you would consider a flyby to be, just for some of the fans that may not know that terminology. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, so if if I'm in the corner picking up a puck, looking to make a, a pass, like the opposing team, if they're coming to forecheck me, I would assume that someone's going to come and give me a body check, right? Not just kind of swipe their stick along and or or just completely skate right by me, which happens. I don't even know how many times, honestly. So, yeah, I think that that's one of the main differences I do notice. Um, uh, I will say there is some some very skilled players in the SPHL that probably could be in the East Coast, but they're, they're, you know, could be paid well. I'm not sure. Could be some other factors that keep them where they're at that they like it so much. Sure. But it's the same thing here. There's guys in the SPHL that are really skilled that could possibly be good in the SP, could be in the East Coast that just prefer to stay where they're at so and 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 and, well let's take for you for instance you you seem like you're you're happy with coach sherwood and uh, i gotta be honest with you if you're playing in the fphl binghamton has got to be one of the best places to play in it's a great rink you guys' locker room is probably one of the better locker rooms all throughout uh i have not seen baton rouge in, in mississippi's locker rooms i know there's a those are big arenas as well and everything unlike you know uh, like in Watertown or Delaware last year, where you know small community rinks um, and everything in the FPHL and everything. But this has got to be one of the better places to play in, and the fans are rabid for you guys. Do you guys notice that? Do you feed off of that some too? Oh, uh, absolutely. I mean, you can just when we're at home, like it. it yeah, guys. Guys on the team can change the momentum. Anybody in our sure. locker room could you know could do make a play. 
that changes momentum. But when you have 3,500, 4,000 fans in the arena, just all behind you screaming and yelling, and they can shift momentum so easily for us, especially when something bad happens. Next mm-hmm. thing you know, like one big hit, and they're behind you again, and it's just like a quick switch, right? So it's, it's great. Like one of the best places I've played, um, you know, our locker room, like you were saying, I think is one of the best locker rooms in all of minor hockey that I've played in at least. Minor pro, sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, Bington's been a, a great place for me. Um, I've enjoyed every minute I've been here. Um, I haven't uh, hated being here in, in, in any aspect. So. So uh, let me let me ask you this. We talked a little bit off air a little bit. You have definitely played defense um, throughout your time a little bit here and there. You said in Roanoke you, you did, in Maycomb you did, a little bit in junior and everything. So can you talk to me a little bit about um, the conversation that maybe you had with Coach Sherwood when he said, hey, Jesse, I might need you to play D again because, you know, he, he knows that you did that in Roanoke and everything. What was that conversation like, and was that an easy conversation for the two of you to have? Yeah, it was pretty, I'd say it was pretty easy conversation. It was just kind of like, hey, like, might need you to play some D, and I was like, hey, whatever you kind of need me to do, like, I'll do. Doesn't, it's not going to affect me. So, yeah, it just kind of came about. It was, we were, uh, we, I think we only had five D at the time yeah. when we started. Yeah. Yeah, and then he's like, I'm going to need you to play some D for me here, and uh, we'll see, possibly, maybe you're going back up, maybe you won't, we'll just see what happens. And I said, yep, whatever we need to do, as long as we're winning games, I don't, I don't care. Yeah, and you guys are obviously winning games. Uh, the uh, the last game up in Watertown, not your typical Black Bears hockey, although you guys put uh, 40-plus shots on the Watertown Wolves. Bouchard played very well goaltending-wise against you guys and everything. What did you guys take out of the, that loss? Um, what, what were the takeaways that um, maybe Coach Sherwood brought to you guys today at practice um, when it came to that loss, because uh, you know you guys lost three games and you know two games in a shootout, a game in uh, overtime, and you guys got a point, and you can kind of go away from that kind of feeling okay and everything. But a loss that you guys just took. Uh, what were the takeaways that you guys all took? Yeah, I mean for sure that like the, like you were saying too about the other ones, like the other ones were overtime, like where we came back, we worked to, to stay oh, in yeah. those games. And then, and then this one was definitely a little, little bit of a, uh, I guess like a hit to the stomach for some guys, especially the younger guys. Like, you know, it was just kind of like explaining and guys understanding that just because we throw on our Blackberries jersey and you know we are good enough to be the number one team in the league doesn't mean it's going to just happen for us. We we have to go out there and produce. Like you have to go play. It's- so I think like the big things we had to take out of it was just like. Showing like making sure we're competing all the time. Like mm-hmm. you know, there was times where we we you know gave up a couple too many three on twos and just we're getting beat out of the corner. Just sometimes we're just getting out competed in the game, and that and that happens. And you know, as long as we can take what happened on Saturday as kind of like a, I guess like a, a learning curve for for us for for some of the younger guys and mm-hmm. stuff to understand that like. Hey, we play Friday and we play Saturday, so you got to be ready to go both days. Like, just because you throw on the sweater and we're you know first in the league on our side doesn't mean we're going to get three points. Every team's going to show up and every team's going to want to beat us every night because we're the best. 
Yeah. Were you surprised that uh, Coach Sherwood um, asked you to uh, be uh, an alternate captain? Uh, a little bit, but, I mean, um, I just tried, you know, throughout camp to just uh, help any guys that needed anything. It wasn't like – if I did get it, I did, which I'm very uh, excited about and happy that I did. And if I didn't, I, it wouldn't change anything I'd do to help the team. Uh, I'd still voice my opinion. I'd still try and help any of the guys that need anything. Like, whatever. If the guy needs to come talk about something, like, you know, like, you can come talk to me. Like, I'm not going to – not gonna you know push you along to the next guy like i know sometimes uh especially when you're new to pro hockey you know it's it's tough to talk to a coach so if guys like need to come talk like and they don't want to go directly to coach especially i i mean most guys i would go right to sure because he's a very honest open door policy guy but if they if they, they don't feel like they can and they just you know, want to talk to someone they can always come to either myself wally or kirch and then if that's they need us to go to coach. We'll go there, but yeah, just trying to be available for everybody on the team is a is a big thing for me. Jesse, I've been doing this uh, podcast uh, for since two thousand and four, and I just want to say one thing. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I had JT Walters on the show, uh, your other alternate captain on the team, and everything. And uh, that weekend, he went out and scored his first goal of the season. And uh, you have not scored yet. You, you, I know you already know that. I'm not, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. You've got 12 assists in 11 games, so you're obviously getting on the score sheet, and you're really helping the team uh, and whatnot. You pass the puck very well. Uh, can, can you do me a favor and, and, and keep up my streak that when I have guys on the team, they score usually that weekend. Can you, can you hold up your bargain and get that first goal? I will, I will do my best. I, I can't <laughs> promise anything. I mean, don't get me wrong. I do want my first for the year, but, yeah. um, as long as we're winning, it, it doesn't matter. So for so, me, yeah. I go, I could have zero goals this year. As long as we win, I, I'll be happy. Well, if you have zero goals this year and you play defense and you play as well as you've played, and I, I and again, I'll, I'll say this to you because I said this to you off air, and I, I want to say it on air so the fans hear this again because I've mentioned it already a few times this season. You had, in, what, in my opinion, is the toughest, uh, toughest position this year on the team. Um, coming in, Everybody knows you as a forward. You've obviously told me you've played some D in the past, so you're kind of comfortable doing it and everything. But you're a good puck-moving forward, okay? And people don't talk about that enough because they always talk about stay-at-home defensemen and a puck-moving forward uh, defenseman, but they don't really talk about guys who can really move the puck forward well even as a forward, as a winger or as a centerman, that type of thing. And you're really good at that, so... You know, as I explained to you, I was like, I thought, man, the mindset has to be he's got to think twice as fast as everybody else on the ice. But I think you've done a really good job. And I I just want you to know that I think you have the toughest job this year, probably through the first 10, 15 games, just because your mindset has always been like, move the puck forward, pass it along to some of the big goal scorers on the team and everything and go from there. I mean, you scored 19 goals last year between Makeham and Binghamton, so you can obviously score goals and everything, but, you know, I just want to let you know that, you know, I, I, I think you've done a great job so far transitioning into a D-man, especially on a team that didn't have a lot of natural D on it to start the season. Yeah, well, thank you for that. I mean, yeah, I mean, I just 
again, I'm just trying to do what I can to help the team. And, uh, you know, it's gonna, it's always, there's always going to be some mistakes that I make. I mean, I made two big ones against uh, Carolina, uh, gave up, I believe, two shorthanded goals were both my fault. So, I mean, I just over-pinched over, over on it. But, again, that's the thing that I have to get used to again when playing D. You know, i got to count bodies, make sure there's someone back covering. But, yeah, I mean, Sherwood's always trying to help. Like, if there's something that he sees that I should change or even even other defensemen like uh, Wally, mm-hmm. Pete Walters, if he sees something, like, he, I tell him, you know, help me out, just point it out and, there's something that you think I could do better, I'll, I'll definitely make sure that I do that. So Is that the toughest part? It is a bit of a learning curve, and I just want to make sure I can do whatever I can to help the guys out. And if that's, you know, me sometimes having to be a stay-at-home D one shift, and then the next one getting up in the play, and then, then that's what I do. So. Yeah. Is that hard? Is that decision hard? I mean, you mentioned the, the two plays that you, you say is your fault, um, you know, on the, the – is that hard to kind of like – I mean, I don't know if the fans truly understand how hard it is to be a defenseman in any league. It's the reason why there's probably less defensemen than there are forwards. People are always trying to score and everything. It's it's difficult to make that decision. Do I pinch? Do I move forward? Do I get into play? Or do I stay back? That's one of the hardest things, I think, for a defenseman to decide to do. Oh, yeah, 100%. There, there's split-second decisions that you have to make all the time, like, there's times where I think I want to jump into the play, and then I, you know, in the last millisecond, I go, I can't jump because there's a guy coming this way. It's like all the time you got to be thinking who's behind you, what's in front of you. Um, it's just knowing what's around you at all times, and then essentially just reading that and making your play. Um, my biggest thing is keeping your mental capacity and IQ high. So mm-hmm. I like to, you know, I like to play chess every day to keep it keep it uh, fresh okay so all right is there anybody in the team that you're playing chess with i have to ask that question not that i know of guys are probably now that they if anybody listens to this they'll probably hurt me a little bit for playing chess i love playing chess i usually just play it online okay uh watch the grandmasters on on uh, chess.com but yeah learning that and learning that game and how how quickly they think it's uh definitely something that i like and try to transfer over to, to hockey Wow, that's I, I. You see, this these are the things that we learn here. Um, I'll have to pull out my chessboard, and you can come up to the uh, press box, and we'll play one day. Um, I'm sure you'll kick my ass because it's been a while, um, but that's okay. A uh, couple, two last, two last questions before I uh, let you go, and I totally appreciate all your time and everything. Uh, growing up in on you know in that part of Ontario and everything, were you a Toronto Maple Leafs fan growing up? Yeah, I, I, I bleed blue, unfortunately. They, uh, they haven't done well in the playoffs. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, one of those things when you're from that area, that's, uh, that's the team you root for. So Okay. All right. So I, I had a feeling, and my, my sympathies to you. Um, you know, <laughs> so I root for the other blue team, the the New York Rangers, and trust me, we, we yeah we won in '94 and we went in 2015, I think it was or 14, whichever one it was that we lost to the Kings. But otherwise, yeah, it's you know it's been up shit crick without a paddle uh, for the Rangers as well. Um, even though they're they're a good team this year. All right, one last question. All right, so I had Tyson Kirkby on. We talked about the SUNY Act guys against the Adrian College guys. If you took four of the SUNY Act guys and pitted them up against the Adrian College guys, who's winning that battle? Four on four hockey. Four on four hockey. You got 
Suniac guys versus the, the ACHA guys. I'm taking Suniac all day. Okay. All right. I got to get one of these. Uh, 100%. All right. Now, what's funny is I had Brendan Stako on, and uh, uh, his, his he was like, well, it's a different type of hockey. And I think that was his way of skirting around the answer a little bit um, because I have a feeling they think that. But, again, I think it's because of the physicality that you guys are used to that they probably couldn't uh, put up with, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. It'd be, it'd be a fun thing to see, definitely. I, I'm not sure exactly how it would fall out, but I know that uh, – if we got us four SUNY guys, whoever it is, whoever yeah. it might be, uh, I, I'd go down with them swinging. I'll, I'll give you that. Well, you'd have to play D because I don't think there's a lot of uh, uh, SUNYAC guys who play D or that are on the team. So you definitely have to be D. Tyson Kirkby would obviously be on and everything. but Because uh, they've got two defensemen and they've got two forwards. And Stanko and uh, Connor know each other really well. So it would be interesting. Either way, I'm going to try to get – coach to set this up we got it we got to get this going suniac guys against the acha guys but um uh jesse thank you very much for coming on the show i appreciate it and thanks uh uh, you know good luck this weekend against danbury you know three games and four nights against them uh that'll be tough but it'll be fun to watch yeah thank you thank you for having me on and i enjoyed it uh we'll hopefully see you at the rink again uh wednesday yeah absolutely and uh We'll be right back right after this, right here on the Power Play Post Show. If you're a Binghamton hockey fan, then you need to check out BinghamtonHockey.net for all your news, stats, information, the Binghamton Hockey Hall of Fame, top 10 lists, profiles, and so much more. That's BinghamtonHockey.net. You're listening to the Power Play Post Show. And welcome back, everybody, to the Power Play Post Show. Great interview with Jesse Anderson. Uh, I think we're excited for the three games this weekend, three games in four nights, Against the Danbury Hattricks Wednesday night in Binghamton, uh, Thanksgiving Day game or Thanksgiving pre-Thanksgiving game. Uh, I'm so used to saying the Thanksgiving Day game because Binghamton did that for a very long time. And we actually have a page over at BinghamtonHockey.net all about the Thanksgiving Day game. You can go check it out, see the records of all the Binghamton teams that played on Thanksgiving Day. It was one of the coolest things every year. But uh, they moved those uh, that game to the Wednesday night before. I'm not a fan. I'm just going to say I'm not a fan, but... Uh, I hope the uh, Black Bears do well and obviously pack the house for that game. And then Friday, they'll be in Danbury. And then Saturday night, back in Binghamton. Uh, so hopefully the, the fans haven't eaten too much turkey and turkey sandwiches on Thanksgiving. I do want to say to everybody, happy Thanksgiving. Thank you for listening. If you were listening because of the Facebook page, thank you for following us on the Facebook uh, group. Thank you for just listening to the show. We're very happy that you're on board. The Power Play Post Show is on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and iHeartRadio. Just search Power Play Post Show on whichever platform you would like to listen to your podcast and then subscribe, right? So if you're listening to us because you clicked on the link in Facebook, but you listen to it on 
Apple Podcasts instead. You can just search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Amazon Music. I heard radio. You can just have, you know, your little smart radios play it. All you have to do is if you have an iHeartRadio account, you can basically just say blank, blank, play the Power Play Post Show, and they'll play the latest one, which is pretty cool. Uh, please join the Facebook Power Play or the Facebook or the Power Play Post Show Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and search for Power Play Post Show. Join our group and share with all your friends. Let's make this bigger and bigger, especially if they're hockey fans. Um, I would really love that. And again, thank you very much to Jeff Stanko this past week. Check out BinghamtonHockey.net for all of your Binghamton Hockey information and curiosity. And thank you to Rob Lopolis, our MC. He is the Adirondack Thunder play-by-play broadcaster. He's a good friend of the show. He's a great guy. He's from Windsor, New York. And I absolutely love the dude. So thank you very much uh, to Rob Lopolis being our MC. John Petitucci, one of my best friends from high school, going all the way back because um, I am old. Uh, he's our musical director, creates some beautiful, great rock and roll music. He's down in Dallas, Texas. He's in a great band that tours the southwest part of our country. So thank you to him. And our guest this week, defenseman for the Binghamton Black Bears, Jesse Anderson. Hey, listen, I'm Bob Howard. You're listening to the Power Play Post Show. Thanks for listening. Hopefully they get um, two out of three wins or at least three out of three wins this weekend, the Binghamton Black Bears. Enjoy the games. Enjoy Thanksgiving. And thank you for listening to the Power Play Post Show. for listening to this edition of the Power Play Post Show. Be sure to tune in next week to the Box Studios Radio Network for all the latest Black Bears news and interviews from around minor league hockey. The Power Play Post Show would like to thank John Patitucci for all the music you hear on the show. You've been listening to the Power Play Post Show.